0: Uh, before I get started here today, uh, I'm going to read this letter just because it kind of fits. Hi, I have been listening to Pastor Chronister for about three months on YouTube and Sermon Audio. Uh, and I'll stop there because uh, some, he says some very kind things about me and, is, and um, I don't need to uh, go over that. But let me get this. I, have, I am promoting his lectures, Sermons to Friends. This is Mike from Kennedy. Alabama. Hi Mike. Wherever you are, there you are. Uh, don't do that Mike. <laughs> you need friends. You can promote them to people that are not your friends. But friends, that's uh, a little touchy. But he goes on to say, and they are amazed at how he, that would be me, can take something from the Bible that has been butchered by others and make it so simple and easy to understand. It's right here, right, right there. Why are you laughing? Mike, you're my new favorite from Alabama. Holy mackerel, honey child. Two questions. Do you have a live feed on Sunday? That's a good question. We're not really sure. We think we do, don't we? I need a mailing address. So, Mike, I'm going to give you this to Supper Dave if he exists. So, But I just wanted to emphasize the simple that I do just in case you were wondering don't you feel intimidated now by mike and all his friends in alabama okay <laughs> i just i just had to well, as soon as i read that i went oh this this is fantastic <laughs> evidence for the defendant right here okay november 25th 2018 lecture discussion number 45 on the book of joel and for those of you who were otherwise engaged last Sunday, lecture number 44 was actually two lectures. Uh, the reason for that was that uh, November 11th was a snow and ice day here. We had to suspend the sentence, or the, I'm sentence the. <laughs> okay, there we go. Ah. That. That was Freudian or intentional. I'll have to figure out which one it was at some point. But we had to suspend the service. The lower hillside roads were not navigable, as you know. Cliffside services were appropriately um, deferred. And unfortunately, for the highest and most holy that showed up the next week, on November 18th, which was last week, that resulted, November 18th, resulted in an avalanche of material, a, a list maker's delight, We weren't able, we didn't articulate this correctly last week, so we're going to leave it there this week for sure. And so we had this pile. It wasn't a delight for the general population, I know that. It's more so a burial. And I would do this all the time when I taught high school. It was part of my methodology, as you know as I was teaching high school. And the accusations would come from the little uh, munchkins, the students, the high school kids primarily. They would accuse me. They would say, you uh, are intentionally making the test, Mr. Cronister, on Friday impossible because they are tests on Fridays. That was uh, how I operated. That was a complainant charged against me. They thought that the study that they had to do to pass the test at a minimum or at a maximum should be a half a page. They wanted to read one thing, and that would be it. And I didn't ever do that. And I can see their suspicions had validity. They thought I was trying to make the test uh, untenable. Um, But I really wasn't. It was a consequence of how I operate. It is not a diabolical plan. Uh, Okay, maybe it is a diabolical plan. But my plan was not to flunk uh, the entire class every Friday. My plan was to flunk the entire class most Fridays. That's the truth. I wanted them to understand, listen, I I taught, as you know, math, maths and uh, physics and theologies and uh, everything, English. But I never wanted them any, any, ever to think that learning was a simple process. Because I knew eventually they would be having to deal with the very most difficult if they actually made it that far. And the very most difficult is Scripture. And it's not even close. So I was trying to, pre- to prepare them for that. And being the highly trained teaching professional, I adapted a sliding scale grading method because I had to. After a while, you can imagine, I am blowing up their grade point averages. You can imagine how that went over. So I started this way. The three questions answered correctly was an A. And two questions, correct is a B. And one question, if you got one question correct, you got a C. And less than one, C minus. That, that was my, I, if you run into any of them and none of them are here, they will tell you that's exactly what he did. I, you could see how that might have gone over with the administrative element of the school. And I submit that was a quite merciful system, considering the tests were a hundred questions, and they were. And for those of you who have recognized that less than one is likely a euphemism for zero, I respond by noting the economic considerations of private schools. The wealthy do not appreciate little Reginald III being positively identified as a dull-witted idiot. That doesn't go over. You have to be a little bit more subtle. You have to be helpful in some way. <laughs> Every now and then, someone would say, I got a C minus in Mr. Cronister's class. Oh, you flunked it. <laughs> you couldn't get one question right on any. No. But the point being is, is that private schools operate differently, and that has now moved into the Public schools. It's referred to in the trade as great inflation, which is actually the continuing of the income stream or the financial viability. Churches are subject to it as well. I present the Ivy League as uh, exhibit one. $150,000 buys you an A, no matter what. That's how it works. A's at Harvard are as Plentiful and common as sand is in Arizona. Hi, Jennifer. And failure to comply with that will end your t- t- teaching uh, assignment career. And I've long openly mocked grade point averages that exceed 4.0. I, I have to. I'm math. It's math. Grade point averages are a fraud today. And uh, Valedictorians have grade point averages exceeding four and a half, five places. It's nonsense. And it's damaging. Do you know what we call advanced placement classes when I was in school? Classes. That's right. That's what we called them. They were classes. Of course, I was during the Civil War. I'll concede. <coughs> Advanced placement, my anatomy—it's just absolutely complete nonsense. Now, honors classes are just more fake trophy garbage, and it is it is debilitating for the students. You are harming them with this system. Uh, there is no understanding of pursuing an endeavor or a goal that has difficulty so the complex the, the effort required to get through difficult material that that capability is is gone anyway the off stated uh, purpose of my inclination to present an overwhelming or seemingly overwhelming amount of information is to ensure that no one ever leaves beautiful downtown cliffside without a minimal comprehension of the vastitude Of scripture, the immensity of scripture, of the Bible. And once you have possession of the extraordinary complexities of the Bible, you now have a powerful, powerful weapon. You have the truth. You actually have armor. And it is not coincidental that the ubiquitous refrain from the monistic community is that the Bible is simple fables and stories and myths. And that's why I'm so frustrated by the professional clergy who constantly do simple stories, you are degrading Scripture in my view. They, the monists, the evolutionary philosophers, they they believe and they propagate that the the Bible, the Scripture, is constructed by superstitious inferiors, simple-minded believers in non-existent deities in order to cope with natural events. You see it all the time. It is absolutely their number one go-to attack. And a cursory, just a simple, shallow, minimal effort uh, examination into Scripture is all that's required to just destroy, completely repudiate the physicalists. In fact, those who cling to extinguishment, that's physicalism, that's monism. Those who cling to the extinguishment at physical death are the ones who have the simple. That's what's simple. It is not complex to assert, to argue that life is purposeless and hopeless and doomed to permanent nothingness. That's not complexity. Evolutionary philosophy is the quintessential, the essence of primitive. So the list I put the list on there. That's not even that's not even half of the list. I was probably not even a, I can't even imagine how much list is available. But I put that list on last week without any explanation. So if you just have the list and you don't even know what the list is, you just have the list. Knowing the list, knowing what's on the list is fantastic, but knowing that there is a list is also amazing. It's great blessing. If you're reading your Bible and you're reading, for example, this is Martha and Mary. John and Peter, and I don't even have John and Peter on it. But if you know that's what it takes to get through the basics of Martha and Mary, then, wow, you've got a chance. But if you think Martha and Mary is a simple little story that you've got completely understood, then you are in trouble. And I can't really help you because i got to go all the way back to the beginning to teach you how to think. Thomas Sewell is a brilliant economist. He also he also has a judicial background. Writes incredible lectures. He's a brilliant man. He said the schools today do not teach children how to think; they teach them what to think. That is a disaster. Churches are the worst, as the churches have spiraled into silliness. The schools have likewise followed them. There is no standard anymore. All that to say, if you know the list, and then if you know the questions that the list produces, that guides you, and not just my list, any list, your own list. If you've got a list, and you know there's a list every time you read the Bible, and you start to form them, Then you begin to to contemplate the question. That leads to to the discovery of the answers, and that's the aim. And so, we're now going to attack with vigor the current list. By attack with vigor, I mean not succumbing to deep sleep. It's It's tough, and I know it's tough. Okay, probably should read the passages that were omitted due to constraints of time last Sunday. Ooh, I said time. Well, that gives me an opportunity to quickly say, quickly being a relative term, as you know, time has constraints, it has restrictions. You need to know this. I know it's boring, but it's fantastically valuable, as always. In fact, I'm of, of, the, of the point now, of the place now that the harder and the more boring it is, the better it is. It may be my, my hopeless attempts at playing instruments that's causing the that. uh, There are two categories of time, if you will. There's God's category, Christ's category, God Christ's, same, right? Find yourself saying Christ as much as you can. Find yourself, say Jesus as much as you can. I I will put them together as often as I can so everyone uh, will will know that listens to us. God's, Jesus' category of time is one category. Jesus Christ is never not timeless. I said that last week, I hope. Jesus Christ is never constrained or restricted by time. Never. If you have a position of him restricted by time, you're in error. Discard it, cast it away, and look deeper into the scripture. The other classification, so I have Christ never constrained by time. The other classification, that those which are constrained, restricted by time, is everything else. Which is why infinity must come from infinity. Do you remember me saying that to you a few weeks ago? Because of the two categories of time. Okay. Luke 10.38. Didn't have a chance to read this last week, so we'll throw it in here. When I read it, you you start figuring out the list. The list is on the board over here. Where does the 10:38 list starts? Uh, oh, it's just intermixed with John 11, and that doesn't include both aspects of it. So here we are. Now it happened as they went, that he, Christ, entered a certain village and a certain woman. So we're in a certain village with a certain woman named Martha, welcomed him into her house. And she had a sister called Mary who sat at Jesus' feet and heard his word. But Martha was distracted with much serving, and she approached him and said, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to serve alone? You got your list? That statement's amazing. Therefore, tell her to help me. Who's she talking to? And Jesus answered and said to her, Martha, Martha. Now, why did he repeat her name twice? Put that on your list. Didn't she hear him the first time? Do you think that it is just being gentle and grandpa-ish? Ish? Is that a word? God has said, Martha, Martha, you are worried and troubled about many things. But one thing is needed. One thing is needed, and Mary has chosen that good part. So Mary has chosen the one thing. What's the implication of choosing the one thing by Mary? Yeah. Talked about existence now, aren't we? Mary has existence. Which will not be taken away from her. There's your eternal security. Somebody who says to you there is no eternal security doctrine in the Bible has not read uh, Luke eleven forty-two. Those are the words of Christ. One thing is needed. God, Mary has chosen that good part which will not be taken away from her. Some will argue that well we can take it away from ourselves. It doesn't say you can do that. It says it will not be taken away. Now let's go to John twenty-one, which is that. Very, those, those few verses in, in Luke 10 are um, extremely mysterious. I hope I do them justice today. I, I'm going to do my best. But if you don't, as you listen to them today, just start in your mind saying, OK, how many pieces do I have in those three verses? And you should be able to make a very quick list of at least 30 to 50 pieces in order to get a C-minus. Now we're at John 15 through 23. I did not do I think I read 21 um Prior, the first 14 verses, I hope I did. So when they had eaten breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of Jonah. He's calling him son of Jonah immediately. Why is he bringing Jonah, the sign of Jonah, into this discussion? Simeon, son of Jonah, do you love me more than these? You'll find all of these uh, commentaries that says it's about the different kinds of love here. It's not. See me later. Would Christ know what he's talking about? They'll say, well, he used this word for love here, this word for this love, this is a different love, and it's not. He's used those words for love. He, he used them interchangeably all through the Old Testament. So he's using them interchangeably here. There's nothing about the word, the love word. I know everybody loves the love stuff. Instead of the math. He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, feed my lambs. What's that? Did you write on your list Passover? He said to him again a second time, Simon, Simeon, son of Jonah, do you love me? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, tend my sheep. He said to him the third time, Simeon, son of Jonah, do you love me? Peter was grieved because he said to him the third time, do you love me? Why was Peter grieved? What association had Peter made? And he said to him, Lord, you know all things. Peter, at this point, brings in the omniscience of Christ. You know that I love you. Jesus said to him, feed my sheep. Most assuredly, I say to you, when you were younger, you girded yourself and walked where you wished. But when you are old, you will stretch out your hands, and another will gird you and carry you where you do not wish. This he spoke signifying by what death he would glorify god and then and when he had spoken this he said to him follow me pay attention to the order of all of that then peter turning around saw the disciple so where did where did they go first question how far did they walk then peter turning around saw the disciple whom jesus loved following who had also leaned on his breast at the supper and said lord who is the one who betrays you So this, again, is the Apostle John that Peter is referencing. John referencing himself. Peter, seeing him, said to Jesus, But Lord, what about this man? Jesus said to him, If I will that he remain till I come, what is that to you? You follow me. Then this saying went out among the brethren that this disciple would not die. Yet Jesus did not say to him that he would not die. But if I will that he remain till I come, what is that to you? Uh, astonishing. The material there is astonishing. Now, a reminder, quick reminder, quick being a relative term, for anyone who was, what's the word I'm searching for last week, comatose when I did this, or has not heard lecture number 44, or who has no idea what I'm talking about normally, which in other words is everybody. John in the book of John, is giving us a seven-point proof. It's the seven signs of John. He even identifies them as signs, or identifies the second one as the second sign. But he has this seven-point proof of the Godhood, the infinity, the timelessness of Jesus Christ, the seven signs. Let me repeat them. Water into wine, first sign of John, the book of John, that proves. Now, all of these are individual and by themselves they prove that Christ is God. But together, a totality is what we're really trying to find as well. How How do they definitively prove Christ is God individually? But then again, the larger picture of the seven... Which is a Passover pattern. Water into wine was the first. The royal official son is the second sign. The lame man is the third sign. The feeding of the multitude, fourth sign. Walking on water, five. The blind man, six. Lazarus is the seventh sign of the book of John that proves the deity of Christ. And Mary and Martha are inside the seventh sign, the Lazarus sign, as are Peter and John. So therefore, to repeat the central question of all of this, how exactly does the information given of Martha and Mary demonstrate the deity of Christ? Not just demonstrate it, but prove it. And then in addition, John and Peter at the tomb with the folded face cloth and the grave clothes and the rolled stone, John and Peter, to just name a few of them, John and Peter also are in the sign of Lazarus. They're also within the seventh sign of John, the Lazarus sign. So I have to put John and Peter side by side, or in concert with Martha and Mary, and look at them at the same time, simultaneously. How are these proofs of the omniscience of Christ, the holiness of Christ, the incorruptibility of Christ, the fact that Christ, Psalm 1610, is proven to be sinless? How does how did Martha Mary Peter John how do they figure into the equation here and specifically the words of Jesus at John twenty one twenty three What does he mean by that If I will that he remains till I come what is that to you You follow me First when is he coming What is he going to do at that particular coming? How many comings does he have? Who is he coming for? What does it have to do with John and John's death? What do you know about John's death? What happened to John? Omniscient God, unrestricted by time, asks Peter a question about John and the time of John's death. And he gives him the time of Peter's death. Peter will know that his death is near. When? Why will he know that? Because someone will come and gird him and carry him where you do not wish. When that happens, Peter knows that's the time of my death. John was not given a time of death. So I, again, I have, I have omniscient God who is unrestricted, unconstrained about time, talking about the time in response to Peter's question to the infinite God of creation concerning the death of John. Does that all make sense? God is responding to Peter who wants to know about the death of John. The time of the death of John. What's that imply? Did every one of these disciples learn about the time of their own death? And if so, why? If it was just Peter, why only Peter? If it's just John and Peter, why only John and Peter? Why didn't John get a time of death? Do you want a time of death? Some of us, we end up with it no matter what, in the sense that we we can tell. Some of the rest of us, it's a little bit more difficult. You can get a DNA test now to find out if you have Alzheimer's. Did you know that? People keep saying to me. I think because they, they have no, never mind, <coughs> but i lots of you say, oh, you know, you can get an Alzheimer's test already. You can find out genetically if you have the markers. I will tell you this right now. My family possesses the markers for Alzheimer's. You no know, question about it on both sides. So I'm probably uh, a victim of it as I'm talking to you. Most of you suspect that for a long time. I'm going to know the doctor that delivered Eric. How long ago was that Eric? 50, 60 years ago? (laughs) It was a long time ago. He drove himself to the neurologist because he knew. He died three years after he did that. Got him really fast. I'm going to know. Now, my goal, of course, is to act in such a way that you won't be able to tell. And it's so far, I've been very successful. <laughs> Maybe not. Huh? What is the meaning of this about John's death and Peter's death? What's the first way you solve it? What's the first thing you do? He's talking. This is God talking about the death of Peter and maybe the death of John. But he says it in ways that are very mysterious for both of them. Why? What's the point of it? You can answer that. You can get that C plus. Okay, there is no C plus. You get that strong C. Why did John put this in his Bible, or I'm sorry, in his gospel at the end of his gospel? Why does he put it there? After the 153 fish. What is John's singular focus? Prove Christ is God. How does the death of Peter and this information about the death of John prove that Christ is God? John is relentless. It's what he does every time. He doesn't put Mary and Martha in there because he wants to tell a story about two sisters that hate each other. And that's a joke. That's not what he's doing. He's not trying to say, you people need to work harder in church. Help set up the tables. Don't be like Mary, who's lazy. Just sits there and wipes feet. Those are the kind of sermons that you'll hear on Martha and Mary. That's not what John is doing. He's trying to prove to you that Christ is God. Jesus God. All one word. So how does this do that? What's the next question? Where in the Old Testament is this? Where do I find God speaking about the deaths of others? Where's the first place I find God speaking about the death of a human being before it happens? Is that? Genesis. Genesis. Absolutely. Adam. Right? We start this way. Would John know that? How about Enoch's death? How about Elijah's death? How about Moses' death? All three of those have mysterious ends, especially Moses. He's got the archangel Michael contending with Satan over the body, his body, the body of Moses. So obviously there's something amazing there for us to solve. Okay, let's go forth with enthusiasm and good attitudes and select something from the list. now, because that wasn't on the list. I had to add it. I don't have time to write it in. I know it's wishful thinking on my part, that enthusiasm and positivity thing. How about begrudging, resentful compliance? Let's go to that. Sarcasm. Martha and Mary. Here we go. Let me find it. I hope it's on the list. Yes, but where is what I'm looking for? Secretly. There it is. Martha and Mary. Martha secretly calls Mary and tells Mary, The teacher has come and is calling for you. The teacher. She called him the teacher. The teacher has come and is calling for you. And Mary rises up quickly, I'd like to say in a twinkling. And came to him and fell at his feet. And the Jews saw it. Do I have the Jews saw it there? Yeah. Jews saw it right here. Good for me. Good good list. Martha secretly calls Mary, tells Mary, the teacher is coming, is calling for you. And as I said a few weeks ago, he never said, go find your sister and tell her. That I'm calling for her. He never said that to her. So either it's not in the text, which means John thought everybody knew it, or it didn't happen, which is probably the more likely, wouldn't you say? John wrote this Bible to prove that Christ is God. So somehow this does this, this story about the secret meeting between Martha and Mary, and then Mary rising up quickly, coming to him and falling at his feet. And the Jews see Mary do that. And then Mary... At his feet, repeats the 12 words of Martha, word for word. Where's that on my list? Ah, I should have read this list before I did this. Ah, can't find it that fast. But, um, in? Mary and in. Oh, there you go. Thank you. Fantastic. Fantastic. You're way above C minus now. That's yeah, yeah, just thought. But Mary goes and quickly, just she comes to him, falls at his feet, and repeats these twelve words that Martha. Had said first, word for word, Lord, if you, if you, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. Now, previously, probably last week, I hope last week, I suggest that this, this phrase by Martha and Mary was immediately and directly connected. It was a referral to what Christ said at John 11, 14 and 15, which is this. Lazarus is dead, and I am glad. Christ said, For your sakes, that I was not there, that you may believe. Nevertheless, let us go to him. Now, where is Lazarus? Careful how you answer that. Where is he? What's really cool is what John, or Thomas does. Let me go grab that really fast. Then Thomas, who is also called the twin... I assume that's because he had a twin. Just a guess. Sort of a joke. In fact, no one thought it was a joke. Tells you what it was. Then, thank you for the polite laughter from the front row. Then Thomas, who was called the twin, said to his fellow disciples, Let us go also that we may die with him. So Thomas knew we're where the body of Lazarus was for sure. See, he has logic. Where is Lazarus? Thomas chimes in with the logic. Lazarus is dead, and we're all going to be dead like Lazarus because we're going to go here. Just like Lazarus, joining Lazarus in death. Now, hopefully you can see the parallels. Lord, if you had been here, is what Mary and Martha. Martha and Mary both say to him. Lord, if you had been here, Jesus says, I am glad for your sake, I was not there. So those two obviously cause and effect, if you wish to think of them that way. But the the cause comes after the effect, doesn't it? He actually preempts what Mary and Martha say to him by saying this, I am glad for your sakes, I was not there. He says it before they ever hear Martha and Mary say that. They say, my brother would not have died. Christ says, Lazarus is dead. So when you look at them side by side, you see them, if you just put them this way, they would make perfect sense. But the one who is unrestricted by time inverts them. Now now to repeat from lecture 44, for your sakes is a Genesis 317 citation. Jesus is the judge of All trials, Daniel 7, 9, John 5, 22. And he says to Adam, at the trial of Adam, cursed is the ground for your sakes. For your sake, for dust you, and to dust you shall return. The death of Adam, therefore, is tied to the death of Lazarus, as you know. I've been going over that for weeks now. Anyway, Martha, they both have grave clothes, right? Anyway, Martha, the worried and troubled Martha... The working Martha secretly meets with Mary and gives her these 12 words. I want to know how long did it take her to memorize them. This is that part of the lecture where I could say that Mary was the dumb one. Is that common? Yes, it is. How long did it take Mary to memorize the words? Did she know why she was memorizing the words? They did this in secret. She called Mary in secret. Does Martha instruct Mary to fake weep? If she instructed her to, have the, to repeat the same words that she gave to Christ, word for, word, what are the odds of that? We don't have one word wrong. How long did that take? Well, it's only twelve words. You gave me twelve. You give me a phone number. I'm, I'm hopeless. I don't know how old she, the Mary, is. But did they they go over it about twenty five times till Mary had it down? Write it down. Okay. Go to Christ. Say these twelve words. Fall down and weep. How much of this is rehearsed is what I'm asking. If any, you can decide none is. The worried and troubled Martha, working Martha, secretly meets with Mary and gives her the twelve words. There's no way, you have to, have to look at the math of this. There's no way that Mary, without knowing those words, could repeat them like that. Give me an explanation that would, would make that possible. Does Martha then, as I said, instruct Mary to fake weep? Because the Jews who followed Mary were professional paid fake weepers. And Mary was weeping in the midst of their weeping. See, it's all they're all weeping together, right? <sighs> then, Mary, then when Mary came where Jesus was and saw him, she fell down at his feet, saying to him, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. Therefore, when Jesus saw her weeping and the Jews who came with her weeping, he groaned. Because the Jews who came with her were What? Professional fake weepers. Is she one of the fake weepers too? Or we got a whole bunch of fake weeping going on. Or is her weeping real and their weeping fake? There's your position, it's Mary was weeping in the midst of their weeping, so you decide. Martha calls the resurrection of the and the life. He calls himself the resurrection. He just says to her, I am the resurrection and the life. She calls him the what? The teacher. What's up with it? In any event, we should investigate as many secret meetings as we can find, shouldn't we? Where are there secret meetings in the Bible? Who's having secret meetings? should be a little worried when people have secret meetings. In the church business, you better be really worried when people have secret meetings. But we've got to find the secret meetings. How convenient that John... In the book of John, John actually has another secret meeting. So you don't have to go far to find a secret meeting. Do you think that John knew about both secret meetings when he wrote about them? Or, you know, I wrote about this secret meeting, I don't even, I just forgot about that. Well, isn't it a coincidence? I got two secret meetings inspired by the Holy Spirit in one book. Where's the first secret meeting in the book of John? Two questions. Go for the B. Nicodemus. How convenient that John includes Nicodemus's secret meeting with Christ at John 3, and Nicodemus is attaching the grave clothes and the face cloth to the sinless God-man at John 19.39, which, of course, is Psalm 16.10. Nicodemus knew that the body could not decomposed because he knew the scripture, Psalm 16.10. And Nicodemus comes at night. He has a secret meeting with Christ that no one knows about. Uh, What is the relationship between that secret meeting and the secret meeting of Martha and Mary? That's what I'm asking you. Uh, To think that they are unrelated is to be what's the word I want? Unstudious. All so we, we have to now go through the Bible, because all Nicodemuses... Is that Nicodemi? I was thinking. we got to get them all. Put them all together. One Nicodemus relates to another Nicodemus. So go get all the Nicodemuses. And obviously, Nicodemus solved the question. He is the teacher of Israel. Oh, isn't that interesting? Nicodemus has the exact title that Mar- Martha gives... Christ. Nicodemus is the teacher of Israel, the highest level understander, if you will. That's not a word. Comprehensive er, not a word either. And the guy with the most understanding of the Old Testament is Nicodemus. Christ, God calls him that. That's a pretty good spot to be in, don't you think? God calls you the teacher of Israel, the man with the most understanding of the Old Testament. And obviously Nicodemus solved the question from Christ to John 3 3 and John three ten through seventeen. As you know, that includes Proverbs thirty. But I'm gonna I can't go there. Just just know that Nicodemus was given. Questions to answer by God, and He works them out, and I know He did because of what He did. Those grave clothes. Okay, I lose focus, as I said, as usual. Whenever secrets are discussed in scripture as it applies to the nation of Israel, let me just insert this, and it seems like it's just flying in from nowhere, but I hope it, you understand it's not. Whenever secrets are discussed in scripture as it applies to the nation of Israel, what are the secrets? And I should include here also that many learned Bible commentators propose that Martha, worried, troubled Martha, Martha, was attempting to protect Jesus from the Pharisees. That's what they think. They think that in the midst of the Jews who were surrounding Mary were employees, if you will, spies of the Pharisees. So in the fake weepers, I have fake weepers. Does that make sense? were actually spies for the Pharisees. And it's certainly probable. Lazarus being loved by Christ, an associate of Christ, it is also probable that Lazarus would have in that group mourners and friends. So, Lazarus, I have, I have the Pharisees would send spies, and Lazarus's people, the mourners and friends, would also be in there. So, how do I get the wheat from the chaff? How do I know who's who? I have a large group of people... Do I have pharisaical spies in there? Probably do. How many friends of Lazarus do I have? Quite a bit. Do they know who's who? Do they have cell phones? No. Which do you suppose is the greater number? keep in mind Christ's words, his question to Martha. Do you believe this? That's what he says. I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me, though he may die, he shall live. And whoever lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? And Martha's answered that. Did she answer yes or no? Make certain that your answer that you give, how many, raise your hand, never raise your hand here. Move to the left if you think it's yes. Don't ever move. Raise your hand if you think it's no and move to the right. Never raise your hand and never move to the right. How many of you, I'll look at your faces as an old time poker player. How many think that Martha said yes? Do you believe this? And she said, yes, I believe this. How many think no? And whatever your answer, it's got to be consistent with what Martha does next and what she says next. Make certain that your answer is consistent with Martin Martha's prior. prior. Huh, huh, huh. Who's Martin? Martha's prior statements and subsequent statements pertaining to do you believe this? What did she say prior? She said, Lord, if you had been here, does that make you think that she believes this? But even now, I know that whatever you ask God, God will give you. Is that the kind of thing that makes you believe that she said, I believe this? I know that Lazarus will rise again in the resurrection at the last day. Yes, Lord, I believe you are the Christ. The The teacher is calling for you. Lord, by this time there is a stench. This is what she says. Look at all those words. Does she, is she a yes or a no, Martha? Does she believe that Christ is the resurrection and the life? I submit that this is all her testimony. If this was a courtroom, right, all that testimony would be evidence and it would be Uh, contributors or mitigators, which one do you think it is? I submit that Martha's testimony is not convincing that she believes this. And I think her actions are not convincing. First thing she does after she answers that question is convene a secret meeting with Martha. And they come up with what I think is an interesting response. So what is Martha attempting to hide here with her secret meeting? Is she really trying to hide Christ's coming, his location from the Jewish spies that are in the fake weepers? Nobody laughed at. there are fake weepers in the fake weepers. You know how hard I worked at that? I don't do titles. It's lecture number, whatever it is, 45 on the book of Joel. But if I did do uh, titles, but I'd never do titles, I would say, are there fake weepers in the fake weepers? The answer is what? Yes, because fake weepers are fake weepers by definition. I saw the hand. Thank you for the politeness. She's leaving now. Goodbye. She says, "You have very little time I'm leaving <laughs> Ultimately, what is accomplished by Martha and Mary's secret meeting? What is the evidentiary purpose? well John eleven forty two and eleven forty five that tells us what it is that many of the Jews who had come to Mary and had seen the things Jesus did at Lazarus' tomb believed him, believed in him, and Christ says, And I know that you always hear me." Because of the people who are standing by. I said this. When Christ talks to, the, when the Godhead talks to themselves, the triunity of God speaks to themselves aloud. It isn't because they, they need to talk aloud. They're with sameness. They're, the, they're one and the same. So they're talking aloud, Christ says, so that these, these many Jews will believe who I am, will believe this, that He's the resurrection and the life. So that's that's what is going on here. Now we got a bunch of obvious questions. How loud when he said he said these things, he cried with a loud voice. How loud's his voice? What happens to the people that hear God when he speaks loud? Who heard him? Exodus twenty, eighteen through nineteen. Did the angelic realm hear him? Remember, it's not just about you, puny little humans. Did the unfallen and fallen angels witness, see, and hear the reunification of Lazarus' spirit in his restored body? And if they did, what did they think? If the primary revealed reason was to save the many Jews who came to Mary, who followed Mary, how did Martha's secret meeting do that? Because that's the purpose. The purpose is to save those Jews that are with Mary. He says so. It tells you something about Mary and Martha right there, doesn't it? Not worried about them. Not worried about Lazarus. This is to save the Jews who were there, who were surrounding Mary. God, Jesus Christ's name is salvation. He is constantly saving. How many opportunities to save someone does he miss? None. He misses none. So how would Mary or Martha's action, action sorry Mar- Margaret Margaret it's my sister's name. Hi Margie, you'll never see this. Was Martha's actions Her state her statements aiding in the purpose of these Jews being saved or thwarting in the purpose of these Jews being saved. Or attempting to thwart the purpose to repeat stench. When she says he says roll away the stone. What does she say? Don't roll away the stone because there's a what? There's a stench. Lazarus is it's too late. It's useless to roll away the stone. Isn't she saying that? Lazarus is irretrievably dead, is what she is saying. Don't roll away the stone. What about all the Jews that are watching all of this? If he doesn't roll away the stone, are they saved? Do they believe he's the resurrection and the life? If he obeys, he wouldn't ever do it, but if he did do it, he's okay, you're right, Martha, it's going to smell, I'm not going to do it. Is she trying to thwart it, or is she trying to aid it? I say the secrecy fits best with the stench. And I know, and the teacher, and the twelve words, put all that together, did she answer yes or no? So why is Martha saying, don't roll away the stone? If, if Christ was there... Let's say, let's just give it a modern twist here. Christ comes to us and says, let's go out to the mortuary and I'm going to pull your loved ones out of the grave. I am the resurrection and the life. Do you believe this? How many of you would say, well, they're decomposed. It's mostly dust. It's cold out there. We'll never find it without a flashlight. Let's not do it. It's a waste of time. I'm saying that Martha's reason for secretly calling Mary is reflective of her revealed lack of faith at the tomb. Essentially, she did not want Christ to take away the stone, offering the belief that Lazarus decomposed, decaying condition was beyond redemption, that death had prevailed, that Christ could do nothing now. Maybe he could ask something from his father if he'd only been here when Lazarus wasn't dead. As ignorant a theological position as maybe you could find. It's too late. Christ could do nothing now. He's, he smells. Notice the words of Jesus to Martha. Did I not say to you, if... Uh-oh. She says to him, if... He says to her, if... Do you think those are related? Absolutely, they're related... Uh, where am I here? Did I not say to you, if you would believe, you would see the glory of God. Jesus Christ is the glory of God. He's the prime of primal light. He's the light that dwells with men. That's what Shekinah means. They'll tell you Shekinah has some feminine pagan meaning. It does not. It means to dwell with men. That's the original intent and the original structure of the word. He is the Shekinah glory. So he says to her, did I not say to you, if you would believe, you would see me. I am the glory of God. You would know the full truth of the person of Christ. And, and compare the ifs, if you would believe, to Martha's, if you had been here, I submit that Jesus is bringing Martha back to her 12 words, which would make wonderful sense, wouldn't it? The Apostle John, being an eyewitness and having read the accounts of Matthew, Mark, and Luke, he had read them before he wrote us, he gives us the compliment to Luke 38, or 10:38 through41. And we read it last week. It's on the board. Martha. Wherever Martha is. Oh, right here. Martha welcoming him and distracted and serving Jesus. This is the... John gives us this story of Martha and Mary in John 11. that complements Luke 10, 38 through 41. Martha says to the Lord God Almighty, Lord... Do you not care that my sister has left me to serve alone? Yes, sir. Boy, it sure does, doesn't it? She certainly does not believe that he is God himself. She thinks he needs her help somehow. He's he's not going to be able to do this. Does she believe he's the resurrection and the life? But look at what she says. Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me? Wow. To serve alone. I'm now alone. My sister has left me and I am alone. Mary goes to Christ and leaves her sister. Sister is alone. Therefore, tell her to help me, she says. Do you not care that my sister has left me to serve alone? Therefore, tell her to help me. Leave, get away, tell her to leave your feet and come and serve with me. Because I'm serving alone. And Christ responds, Martha, Martha, worried and troubled. You're worried and troubled about many things. Mary has one thing, the good part that will not be taken away. It is heresy, it is blasphemy, it is wickedness to say otherwise. And that is the predominant view in the church today. It tells me many things about the church today, none of them good. Mary's one thing, the good part, will not be taken away. Let those words from the creator of all things seek in. And then consider then John 11:5, 5. Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. What do you notice about that? Who's first? Martha is first. He loved Martha. Martha is the first one identified as loved. The sister is loved second. That would make Lazarus loved third. Here's a quick question. What does that mean? Who's Lazarus? Because he loved Martha and sister and her sister and Lazarus, he stays two more days. That's what it says. He loves Martha, he loves his sister, he loves Lazarus, so he stays two more days. He does it because he loves them. What's that mean? Did he know? How good at math is Christ? Then after this John 11:7 he said to the disciples let's go to Judea again. Okay, we're running out of time. Would it be fair to say that Martha was asking God to order Mary to be exactly like Martha at Luke 10:40? Yeah, being like God, order her to be like me. I'm the one you love first. Therefore, tell her to be worried and troubled about many things like me. Did Martha instruct Mary in secret to repeat word for word what Martha had said to Jesus? Yes or no? In other words, is there a link between Luke 10.40 and John 11.21 and John 11.32? The 12 words of Mary and Martha. Why would Martha want Mary to say the exact same words that she said to Christ? What is the point of that? Why would Martha, love first, want the sister to be worried and troubled? Martha seems intent on taking away that which cannot be taken away, the one thing, the good part. And replace it with what? Yeah, there's the answer, right? And that would bring us a new perspective on the secrecy Mary They're calling Mary in secret. Martha was not hiding from the uh, many Jews. She wasn't hiding Mary from the Jews. She wasn't hiding Mary leaving. Obviously, if she was, it didn't work. They followed her immediately. Martha was hiding what she was saying to Mary from who? Yeah, good, good laugh. Yeah, good for you. I'm not giving the answer out, people on the Internet, because overwhelmingly they have figured it out here. And uh, the gentleman from Alabama apparently found it really easy. So, how does that make you feel? Uh. Martha was not hiding Mary from the Jews, Martha was hiding Mary in her meeting from Christ, the omniscient God, omnipresent God, who is not restricted by time and space. That's who she thinks she can hide from. We have a secret plan. He's not going to get it. He's, he's over there. He's way over there. If only he could have been here, but he couldn't be here because he's way over there. So the omnipresent God who is not restricted by time or space... Or some would say space-time. Uh-huh. Martha thought otherwise. This, if you had been here, tells us that. The implication is that Jesus Christ is constrained by distance and time, which he is not. And that's something that Christ demonstrates at the second sign of John. The nobleman's son, John four forty-six through 54. See also... The centurion servant, Luke 7, 1 through 10, and Matthew 8, 5 through 13. Jesus demonstrates that he is outside of space and time. And this is a fundamental principle that Mary, the first loved, obviously did not believe. And thus attempted a secret meeting with Mary. So, whenever secrecy is the subject, the list making is going to be challenging. The list as far as the eye can see. The Bible is filled with secrets. The secrets, the mysteries of God. And the greatest mystery, the greatest secret, is which one? If we're going to talk about a secret, what secret is it? It is the secret of godliness. First Timothy 3.16. God. Adding humanity, the God man, that is the secret. Whenever you see secret, you gotta start there.